We are in the home stretch now of our study in Philippians. And I want to remind you why we're calling this more than a motto. Because remember, Philippians is full of these little phrases and these short little sentences that look really good on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker. I think you can walk into Mardell any day of the week except Sunday, I guess. But you can walk into Mardell and you can find any one of 37 different verses from Philippians on a t-shirt or a pencil holder or a pillow. But if we take these familiar phrases by themselves, if we say them and memorize them and use them on their own, apart from the context of this real letter to this real church in this real city of Philippi, they can turn into these little motivational mottos that are just about you and what's going on in your life. And, and I think these phrases in Philippians, if we're not careful, they can lose their spiritual and theological punch. Kind of like our slogan today from Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Now this is not Hey, whatever's happening around you, put a smile on your face. This is not look on the bright side. Turn that frown upside down. That's not what this is. There's a context here. And if we take this verse out of context, rejoice in the Lord always can turn into don't worry, be happy. Behind every dark cloud, there's a silver lining. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's enough to make anybody puke, I think. That's not what this is. Rejoice in the Lord always does not come in a vacuum here. There's a context here. There's a story. This rejoicing comes at a particular place in a very specific situation. There are two women in this congregation at Philippi, and they're mad at each other. Euodia and Syntyche. I wish they had different names, you know, something we could relate to. I wish this were about Alice and Luann or Rhonda and Sharon or something else. But, but this is about Euodia and Syntyche. And I think just because their names are so weird and it's nothing anybody would have made up, I think this is just another reminder that these are real people, right, in a real place. And this is a real letter written to a real church with real problems. This is real. So Euodia and Syntyche are mad at each other, and we really don't know why, but, but these are two prominent women in this church. These are two combat veterans with Paul in fighting to advance the gospel, and, and maybe, possibly, they were among that very first group of women Paul met the day he prayed with Lydia at the river. Maybe it's possible there's nobody in this church at Philippi who's been a baptized believer longer than Euodia and Syntyche. But they're not getting along. They sit on opposite sides of the worship center. They avoid each other in the hallways between class and church. Maybe something happened in a ministry meeting one day. Maybe maybe it's a social thing or, or a business thing that was between their husbands. But now it's between them too. Maybe one of them said something she shouldn't have said. Either way, whatever happened, it's not good. All of you odious friends know about it. All of Syntyche's friends are aware. They won't talk to each other. They only talk about each other. They each question the motives of the other. They, 
They openly judge the, the character and intentions of the other. Sintiki says, I can't go to that Bible class because Euodia is in there. Euodia says, I, I can't go to that baby shower this afternoon because Sintiki will probably be there. Neither one of them enjoys the situation. It's stressful and it's sad because they used to be really good friends. But it's gone on so long now, it's more or less accepted by them and by everybody who knows them. And they're both sitting there in church on a Sunday morning. And they've sung the songs and they've prayed the prayers and they've listened to the scriptures and they're getting ready for the communion meal, but, but now they're listening to this letter being read. It's a letter of instruction and encouragement from the Apostle Paul. This letter is about the advance of the gospel. And Paul ties the advance of the gospel directly to the attitudes and the actions of the church. Paul says these things are related. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul reminds them of one of their favorite songs about the humility and the sacrifice and the service of Jesus and how Jesus gave up everything he had to serve others. And the letter says, imitate that. Do the same thing. Live according to this pattern of humility and sacrifice and service. And Euodia and Syntyche both nod in agreement as they listen to this letter from opposite sides of the room. And the letter continues, and it's about dying to self, and it's about sacrificing your own needs for the sake of others. And, and we press on, and we strain towards, and one day by God's power and grace, our lowly bodies will be transformed so they'll be like his glorious body. And Euodia smiles. This is good stuff. Sintiki puts her arm around her daughter. This is a really good letter. They're listening Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Can you imagine the horror of being called out by name in front of the whole church in a letter written by the Apostle Paul? I'm sure their eyes got really big, you know. Euodia's heart probably skipped seven beats. You know, why did he call me out by name? Sintiki probably slouched down in her pew. Why did Suzygus read that part out loud? Why did Paul say my name? It's pretty bold, isn't it? It's pretty in your face. I would never do that, I promise. Everybody just relax, okay? I wouldn't do that. But Paul did. He obviously thinks it's very important that these two people get reconciled. These two people need to be reconciled. And Paul puts it on the whole church to make sure it happens. Euodia and Syntyche, you two get along and the rest of y'all help them put this thing back together. Maybe Euodia's husband is sitting right next to her in church and he thinks there's no way she's going to make up with her. 
Sintiki's best friend, maybe she's sitting right behind her on the opposite side of the worship center, and she says, there's no way they're going to get back together. It's impossible. Most people who know the situation would say, it's gone on too long. Too many hurtful things were said. There's, there's too much pain here. Neither one of these women will admit that they did anything wrong. There's no way they're going to get this resolved. Does that sound like any one of your relationships? Because you know when things aren't right. Maybe in your marriage. Maybe with one of your kids. Maybe with somebody else in your family. Maybe somebody at work. Maybe somebody in your church. You know And so do they. So do a lot of people. They know. And the people who know about it say, there's no way they'll ever make up. It's too much pain. It's too much hurt. Too many bad things were said. It's gone on too long. They're dug in. Neither one of them will admit they did anything wrong. It's impossible. Are you in a situation like that with anybody? Let's look at this in Philippians 4, okay? Paul sounds very confident that these two are going to fix their relationship. He knows it's going to work. Euodia and Syntyche agree with each other. Church, help them get back together. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let everybody see your reconciliation. The Lord is near. Paul knows it's going to happen. He's sure of it. How? How does Paul know that this is going to happen? Well, number one, because reconciliation is the gospel. Reconciliation is the good news of God. This is what God does. Reconciliation is what God's all about. And as bad as their situation might be, reconciling Euodia and Syntyche is small potatoes compared to the reconciliation the whole universe is undergoing because of God's work through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 tells us very clearly, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Because God came to this earth in Jesus Christ and he lived with us in humility and sacrifice and service and because he was so perfectly obedient to death, even death on a cross, we are all made one with God. Brothers and sisters, we are reconciled. Reconciliation means taking a relationship that's broken because of sin and putting it back together in righteousness. That's what God has done. And that's what God is doing. 
through Jesus. He's made things right between us and him. He has restored the relationship between you and God and between me and God. And you know what? That doesn't make sense. We were talking about that in our pew during the communion meal. It doesn't make sense what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We were God's enemies. We were rebelling against God. We were disobeying God. We were turning our backs on God. We were all destined, rightfully so, for an eternal separation from God. But no, surprise, God did just the opposite. Our God in his amazing grace, against all odds, against all common sense, he has brought us back together with him. Can I get an amen? Romans chapter 5. This is what we read during the meal. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Listen, God does a lot of things that don't make sense. You know, a banana. Think about a banana. That's a weird fruit, isn't it? But God gives it to us to eat. A banana makes no sense to me. It's the only fruit that is not ripe enough and then too ripe, like in eight seconds. You know what I'm talking about? You see a banana on the counter, and you're like, that's going to be perfect for my cereal this morning. And you're back in two seconds with your bowl and your spoon and your corn checks and the milk, and it's like, oh, crud, I missed it. It's over. And you've got like four minutes to make banana bread, or the whole thing's gone, you know? doesn't make sense, some of the things that God does. I think about the baboon. It makes no sense to me. What was God thinking? God creates the baboon. He looks it over, looks around, pulls his tail up, and paints a rainbow on his rear end. Why? I don't know. Nobody knows. That's the kind of thing God does. It makes no sense. And this reconciliation with God also, I think, makes no sense. At the end of 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the most lopsided trade in the history of bad trades. That's bigger than buying Manhattan for 24 bucks, right? That's bigger than trading Herschel Walker for three Super Bowl trophies, right? It doesn't make sense. I give Jesus all of my sin and brokenness. He gives me all of his righteousness and holiness, that's a bad trade for God. But for me, that's like winning the lottery every minute for the rest of my life with no taxes. It's a great trade for me. And it makes no sense. Nobody would have seen that kind of reconciliation coming. Everybody who saw that would have known that's impossible. It's not going to happen. But it does in Jesus Christ. And because we have been eternally forgiven and forever saved by this lopsided deal that makes no sense, church, reconciliation is our mission. This is who we are too. Still in this 2 Corinthians 5, going up a few verses, 
Paul writes, all this is from God, every bit of it, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is using us. God is using his church to proclaim the good news of reconciliation. He is making his appeal to the world through us. Personally, if I were God, I would use a more effective method. I would bust into American Idol with 10,000 angels or something, you know, something that would work. But God uses us to communicate and demonstrate his reconciliation to the world. And it's not just a message we're supposed to preach and teach. It's not just a truth that we're supposed to affirm and believe. It's not just a social media post or an encouraging email that we're supposed to repost or forward to our Christian friends. Being God's ambassadors for reconciliation means we have to embrace a gospel unity. Which means our togetherness, our oneness has to be put into practice in specific situations. One thing we've learned here, looking at Philippians, Paul does not write letters in the abstract. He makes the application every time very concrete, and he doesn't pull any punches. I mean, this is for real with Paul. He's looking at these two Christian ladies, and they can't get along. And he says, look, becoming like Christ Having the mind of Christ, looking to the interest of others, considering others more important than yourself, that's got to be worked out on the ground. One disagreement at a time. If you're going to proclaim it, you have to live it. You wouldn't listen to a personal trainer who was an overweight, chain-smoking alcoholic, right? You would not hire a vegetarian to manage your steakhouse, right? That's right. And so, how in the world are we going to proclaim our faith in a God who reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ when we can't even be reconciled among one another? This is huge for Paul. Putting aside our differences and living in unity means everything just to the continuing advance of the gospel. And not just intellectually. Paul's talking about unity in every church pew. Oneness in every relationship. Some of us, though, I know, we walk through the doors in here on a Sunday morning and we're carrying a grudge. We come together in here on a Sunday morning and we're nursing some kind of a bitterness against a brother or a sister in Christ. And our Lord Jesus also has some pretty heavy things to say about that. Matthew chapter 5, these are the words of our Lord. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, then come and offer your gift. First, be reconciled. Then, worship. 
I don't know if we understand the gravity of this. Our Lord Jesus Christ says our oneness is more important than our worship. If you're fighting with your sister in Christ, if you're arguing with your brother in Christ, if you're not on speaking terms with somebody in this room, before you offer a song, make things right. Before you participate in a prayer, you make things right. Certainly before you come to the table to eat and drink with everybody, you make things right. First be reconciled, then worship. Now, you might respond to this in one of two different ways. You might say, this isn't anybody's business but mine. This is a private matter between me and this person. Of course, you're wrong about that. You're not getting along with somebody in the church is everybody's business. The sanctity of the church and the message of the gospel is at stake here. We've got nothing to say out there about being reconciled to God through Jesus if we can't even be reconciled in here. Amen? Is that, is that right? You follow me? The second thing you might say is, well, it's just never going to happen. It's impossible. I wish it could happen. I would like for the relationship to be fixed, but it's gone on too long. And everybody's too dug in. And it's just, it's never going to happen. I want it to happen, but it just never will. Okay, let me show you something really cool here. Because Paul wants these two Christians to end their dispute. But he doesn't expect them to kiss and make up by sheer willpower or human grit. They wouldn't be able to reconcile if it were just left up to them. And so here's what he says. Agree with each other in the Lord. Reconciliation happens in the Lord. Paul's asking Euodia and Syntyche to put into practice with each other what they know and experience in Christ. They should recognize their fellowship that's forged by the blood of Jesus. They should acknowledge their mutual love that springs from the Holy Spirit of God. They should affirm their unity of purpose as co-ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And church, that's only going to happen in the Lord. That's why Paul sounds so sure that this is going to work. Because when people are in the Lord, surprising things happen. Every time Paul tells the Philippians to do something in the Lord, it's something that feels totally the opposite of what most normal people would do. It only happens in the Lord. Go back to chapter 1 real quick and see that, remember, Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel, right? And he's, he's awaiting a trial that might result in his execution. And so naturally, any normal person would, would see that, that all this trouble is driving all the other preachers away. All this persecution is causing the disciples of Jesus to go into hiding. But no, surprise, it's just the opposite. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Chapter 2, in the Lord. Paul's chained to a praetorian guard, right? He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And so naturally, a normal person would pour all of his money and resources into his criminal defense. And so he surrounds himself with his friends and his family. He wants them to be close to him, to comfort him, to take care of him. No, it's just the opposite. 
Paul is sending his friends back to Philippi to take care of the Christians there. His concern is only for them in the Lord. Verse 24, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. This Philippian church sends Epaphroditus to take care of Paul. They, they collected the money. They paid for his trip. They put all their faith and trust in him to carry out this official mission. But Epaphroditus changed his mind. He got sick and he changed his mind. He decided he was going to go back home. And so he leaves Paul there in Rome, and he's heading back. And so naturally, Paul does what any other guy would do. He writes in his letter, do whatever you want to with this guy. He's been no help to me at all. No, surprise, Paul does just the opposite. Look at verse 29. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men and women like him. In the Lord. And now these two women. Paul tells them to come together in the Lord. Agree with each other in the Lord. Because people who are under the Lordship of Jesus, they're different. Their motivations are different. Their actions are not normal. We always forgive the one who wronged us. Not because she said she was sorry. Not because he paid me back. We always forgive each other because God in Christ always forgives us. We make sacrifices for each other. Not so we can get what we want, but because the Lord made the ultimate sacrifice for us. We always serve one another, not so we can look good, but because the Lord served us. We always give to one another. We always submit to each other and defer to one another because Christ Jesus went to the cross for us. He died for the sake of our relationship with him. Jesus did it willingly, obediently. Whatever humility, sacrifice, and service was needed to fix my relationship with God, Jesus did it eagerly. Paul says, in the Lord, Euodia, remember that love and sacrifice. Sintiki, Remember that grace and that forgiveness and that mercy. And put that into practice with each other. Agree with each other in the Lord. And know that reconciliation results in rejoicing. Reconcile with each other in the Lord, Paul writes. Help these two Christians fix their relationship, he says. Verse 4, and then rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This rejoicing in Philippians 4 is directly tied to these two women who are about to put into practice everything they believe and know about Jesus Christ. They're going to imitate Christ by practicing humility, sacrifice, and service with each other. They're going to put aside their pride. They're going to put aside their hurt feelings. And they're going to do all of that for the sake of the relationship. And that is going to result in rejoicing. Paul rejoices. The whole church in Philippi rejoices. The angels in heaven rejoice. Why? Because our God is a God of reconciliation. He is working right now. God has given everything he has. He's given everything he is toward our reconciliation, not only with him, but with each other. He is right now reconciling all things and every man, woman, and child on this planet back to him and with each other in Jesus Christ. 
And when broken relationships are fixed, a God of reconciliation rejoices. When our God's holy will and his eternal purposes are worked out in our relationships, all of creation rejoices. Now, this is more than a motto, right? This is the gospel. So here we go. I want you to think about right now, seriously, think about that person with whom you're at odds. Somebody in your family, somebody at work, somebody you've known for a long, long time, somebody in this church. Something may have happened just in the last few days. Or maybe the two of you have been nursing a grudge for a dozen years or so. Maybe it's your spouse. Again, maybe it's somebody in this church. Think about them. You know the situation. They know the situation. A lot of people know the situation. Think about that person right now. And then I'd like to invite you to think about your Lord Jesus Christ. Think about him. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sin and to reconcile you back to God. Think about that love. Think about that sacrifice. Think of his call to imitate him, to follow him. Think about the Bible's instruction to put into practice what you believe about Jesus. Now, somebody's going to have to make the first move in the Lord. Somebody's going to have to take the first step in the Lord. Somebody's going to have to forgive first in the Lord. You're going to have to first, graciously and willingly, in the Lord, Choose to erase whatever's come between you. And it's not easy. It's very easy for me to stand up here and talk about it. I know it's not easy. It's very difficult work. But I think that's why Paul asked the whole church to get in on it and help. Barry has already said, we would love to pray with you. We would love to help you if we could reconcile. So here's, here's what I'd like to do. Can I get our elders and our ministers, if you would step out into the aisle with your spouses just so we can see you and we know where you are. Here's, um, here's what I'd like to do. And I don't know who's going to start it. I have no idea. Maybe it's you. But maybe as we sing this song, you'll be compelled to just grab one of us, grab an elder, grab a minister, Maybe you'll be compelled to just say, you know what? Here's a broken relationship in my life. Would you please pray to God with me that he can fix this? We'd be so honored to pray that prayer with you this morning. Or maybe you've been given now the resolve. Like you're determined, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to go talk to that person. And you would like somebody to pray with you this morning just for courage and strength and faith to do that. We'd be so honored to pray with you and ask God for the courage and the boldness you need to make things right. 
Maybe, maybe you'll step over four pews and grab that person you're at odds with, and you'll both walk up to an elder and say, look, we know things are wrong, and we know this is going to take a long time to fix, but would you pray with us, please, and ask God to help us fix this? I think it'd be kind of neat if you just shared with somebody in your pew, somebody sitting next to you, hey, I've got this broken relationship. I think it'd be awesome if we just prayed with each other. Maybe everybody on a pew just kind of circled up and somebody just took charge and started praying for reconciliation for everybody in that circle. I might encourage you to text somebody right now. Just text that person and say three things. Please forgive me. I love you. When can we talk? Agree with each other in the Lord. Let our gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, church. Let's pray and let's sing.